0: This is The Strategy Inside Everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. I am joined today on outside. It's a beautiful day. I think in my head, it's a little grayer. Uh, We're recording this during the uh, ongoing COVID-19 situation. So we're both Hunkered down, working from home, but Scott Goodson, who's the CEO, founder, and movement maker, yes, I said it, Scott, at Strawberry Frog, is kind enough to make time to join me. How are you today?
1: I am, um, I am, knock on wood, well, and safe. My family's safe. My colleagues are safe. Um, going through some really challenging times, interesting times, um, and, uh, Special times require special people, and I feel really blessed to be working with a group of really wonderful people um, right now. And, uh, you know, you always can tell when things are, when things get tough, the tough get going. And it's really, I mean, that's such a cliche, but it really is so true. Um, People really stand up and they make really important things happen.
0: Yeah, character becomes, it, it shows up at that time.
1: Extraordinary, but true. Um, you know, in in times of of confusion, you know, reverting back to your your true north, your values, um, your purpose, what you care about is really all you can do, um, because you're faced with uh, you're faced with fear and the unknown, and in order to be able to, you know. Ride that out, you really need to revert back to some form of stability, some kind of security and security is in your values and your purpose.
0: yep hey, Scott, would you mind giving people a little background on your career or you know how you started what what led you to start strawberry frog and and how it's how it's grown since then?
1: Absolutely. so strawberry frog, um, let me start with strawberry frog so Strawberry Frog is a um, movement, marketing, and transformation company. Uh, We develop movements uh, in order to engage consumers uh, into brands and to activate brand purpose in order to um, connect consumers with brands and companies and services in order to sell and grow uh, those products and services. We also work with CEOs and um, CHROs and HR leaders to transform companies through movements inside companies uh, as a means of um, changing the culture, changing behaviors. So movement is the common theme, the common framework we use. Uh, it is much like it sounds, the societal movement, the principles of a societal movement in order to um, engage people in uh in really powerful ways and strawberry frog was created 20 years ago actually 21 years ago now on the 14th on valentine's day 1999 um, the name strawberry frog is actually the name i of was it. i was going, going to
0: Harris. ask yeah i was going we to ask about well, i'll, the leave, deal, yeah. I'll leave it for
1: later um, we started the company to create good um, we Said that a movement is a brand's best friend. Uh, we took that stand 20 years ago to use creativity for good, to create good results, good work, good impacts for our clients and among our teammates. And we're constantly looking for ways to do good in society by activating purpose based brands with a movement. And, and that, that, that sort of focus that we have really came out of an idea that I, I um, kind of developed very fortunately working. Um, in Sweden, back in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, in the beginning of my career, I worked with uh, a lot of Swedish. I was working in, in the advertising industry in Stockholm, Sweden, and a lot of the Swedish multinationals started to grow outside of the Swedish market into Scandinavia and Europe. And then, of course, globally, companies like IKEA, like um, at the time Ericsson, which was the world's largest mobile phone maker, uh, H&M. Um, and other companies. Um, and what I learned back then was that um, consumers were looking for more from their brands than just the brands themselves. So they, in effect, were looking for um, brands to um, provide, you know, have more women on boards. They wanted brands not to have as much packaging, So they wouldn't be environmentally contaminating. Uh, They wanted to deal with social issues. Um, So this consumer demand basically created what we now know as purpose-based strategies um, in Northern Europe. It wasn't the companies that came out of it, it was the consumers that drove that. And I was sitting there working with these companies going, wow, this is a really powerful idea, this idea of creating a purpose. But as we you know, in real time, when you're working with purpose, it tends to be very theoretical. And inside a company, when a CEO stands up and says, hey, our purpose is X, y, Z, a lot of employees just naturally start to applaud and say, oh, that's wonderful. Even though it could be super hard to understand what the, what the purpose is, it could be very theoretical, very difficult to actually um, take and use to at the core of your strategy to change a company, innovate new products and so forth. And so as we took this purpose strategy and, and, and started marketing these Swedish brands outside of Sweden in places like Poland or Thailand or Australia or Brazil or even in the United States, we saw that people just didn't get it. They were like, we don't get this purpose thing. Like, what are you talking well, about?
0: They didn't understand the, the connection between the the purpose and themselves, or they didn't understand the connection between the purpose and the customers, or they couldn't connect the purpose to the business itself? What was the disconnect, do you think? It was a
1: mixture of things in some countries, like Thailand and Poland. They didn't have phones. So when we came in and said, hey, the purpose of Ericsson is XYZ, they were like, all we need is phones. We don't have any phones. So can you just show us a phone? That's what people want to see. <laughs> But in other more developed markets like Australia or Brazil or in the United States, consumers weren't looking for brands to do more than make good stuff. So they weren't interested in brands standing for women, more women on boards or parental leave for for parents working in companies or less pollution. That wasn't on their top 10 agenda. It was like, we want good products at reasonable prices, high quality products. Uh, you know, democratize style, democratize furniture, do all those things. That's helpful for us, but don't go beyond that doesn't make really sense. So the bigger social issues that were relevant in Northern Europe and Germany and Scandinavia, just at the time were not relevant, they weren't in the minds of consumers in other parts of the world.
0: That's interesting. Do you they think are now, do you see, yeah, now, now all the issues that you've raised yeah. are, but do you think I've read studies where um, you know, people under 30 will say they prefer uh, sustainable products, but then it has to be at least table stakes in performance or appearance or style. And it has to be similar in price for them to really honor that and make a move on it. Is that a reflection of, of kind of an immature market seeing a phone and saying, we just need phones. I don't need the purpose, but then when they're saturated with phone options, the purpose becomes more important because it's a it's a differentiator or a reason to align with a product or a brand.
1: I mean, I look at my own children who are teenagers. My son is eighteen. Uh, you know, he grew up with messages around him of concern around the environment. You know, is the environment going to be sustainable in the next in his lifetime? What career choices should it make? Will there be jobs available? Um, that humans will do versus machines. I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of question marks about the future. So I think young people being brought up in that world realize that it's not enough just to buy stuff. They need to be making intelligent decisions about the brands they're buying. Clearly, there's still a lot of people buying stuff because we're in the middle of a of a pandemic, and young people are still going out at night and partying, and they don't understand what this means. So there is a certain depth uh, out there uh, among a certain group of people, um, in terms of, uh, sustainability, bigger issues that we need to, you know, that and the trend is certainly in that direction. I wouldn't say every young person is feeling that way, but I would say it's a lot more, um, uh, relevant to this younger generation today to have brands that are doing good than perhaps they were in the eighties, nineties when it was all about partying and making money and not really caring about anything. Right. Other than, uh, mo- you know, how much can you get? Obviously that changed a little bit over time, but it's become more acute.
0: Do the, do the brands that approach strawberry frog, are they coming to you because they already have a purpose that they want and they know that you'll help, uh, illuminate that? or connect it to people or are they coming to you because they're looking to help with definition of a purpose that either exists but is dormant or exists or doesn't really exist in whole yet?
1: So we we are experts at helping people who have a purpose activate that purpose because the biggest challenge is a lot of companies develop a purpose and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to use it in their marketing communications to sell more stuff. They don't know how to use it in order to motivate uh, employees or change the way they operate inside an organization. So that's that's really our core essence. We go in and we say, look, why is not enough? You can't spend all your time figuring out what's my why. You got to figure out once you figure out what your why is, how do you actually activate it in such a way that you can use it as a leadership tool to engage your people? You can use it as a tool inside your organization to foster collaboration between different departments that typically don't do that. There's a lot of internal benefits to having a movement. You can use it to generate trust, motivation, creativity among different work groups that typically you wouldn't get from a top-down mandate from the CEO, which today doesn't carry as much weight as it did 10 years ago. Um, because you know, if you look at the world we're living in, you know, the cues are coming are not coming from the editor of Vogue. Uh, they're not coming from the editors of the top magazines. They're coming from blogs on, on Instagram and, and other social media sites where people are their cues for fashion and culture and style and information. So, you know, it's grassroots right now and, and the framework of a movement can be a powerful leadership tool in today's world for an organization. Uh, and then externally, we can help companies take a purpose and use it as a as a sales and marketing strategy in order to grow their business. That's really our focus.
0: But they come with they come with the why development. They come and with them, the why sometimes for to help them bring it to life.
1: Correct. Sometimes that why is very theoretical. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like a long sentence that you have to read it four or five times before you understand what it's trying to say. And every word has been measured, of course, by the organization, by the leadership. Um, but when you sit there as an employee and you try to figure out what it means, you know, I, I, I have so, so many,
0: <laughs> yeah, the break room uh, poster, the break room poster looks great, but uh, what do I do with it? How do I, why are there so many commas and semicolons in it? Just give me, give me the one sentence breakdown of what, what is, what are we trying to say here?
1: I mean, some, some are really powerful. Um, a lot of them are incredibly banal. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, do good, or we're going to. Try to help people, you know. It literally, is you know, um, they can get also incredibly overthought, and and many times they can be they can be purpose washing where company stands for one thing and they try to say something that is completely unrelated to what they do. Yeah, I mean, a great case in point is like uh, Planters Peanut came out with a um, nutrition based purpose. And then they came out and, and said that uh, in a recent ad they just did, they came out and said that they uh, stood for women for um, equal pay because not paying women the same as men is nuts. I don't understand how that connects with the purpose on nutrition. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues in terms of understanding what a purpose is and how you apply it in a day-to-day basis. Um, and, uh so we, we work with them to take their purposes and, and activate them
0: yeah i think it's in the case of planters there you just want if if your purpose is either equal pay or nutrition then the things you're doing line up against one of those things so that it all makes sense to people and you're not all over the board it doesn't seem like well now they're just filling in whatever issue of the week is
1: yeah because purpose you know there's a lot of misunderstandings around purpose some people feel purpose is your marketing strategy. Purpose is not a marketing strategy. Purpose is, should be at the core of what is should be at the core of your business strategy.
0: Right and it's informing how, everything you're doing so you so in the case of a nut manufacturer or a nut, a nut CPG they're looking at their suppliers, they're looking at the the partners, they're looking at their retailers and making sure that everybody in that chain supports that same purpose in the same to the way that they can influence it so that it's all lined up versus this is what we're about. But then the first deal you make has nothing has, is not impacted or does not change that purpose at all.
1: Exactly. So maybe in case of planters, their strategy, if their, their strategies, their purpose is nutrition, maybe their campaign is all about why they, you know, they develop a salt free nut and they teach Americans not to eat salted nuts because it's not healthy. Um, you know, like that—that that to me is a better way of approaching it than dealing with, you know, uh, pay inequality, which has nothing to do with nuts or nutrition. Right. Um,
0: I mean, there's a wiggly, waggly way that I'm sure some copywriter could figure out a line that would connect them, but it's not connected.
1: Exactly. So that's kind of what we do. Um, my my background—I kind of weaved weave it into my uh, the background on on the how purpose came about—is that I'm originally born in Canada. After I graduated from university, I went to work in Japan. Uh, My dad did the uh, World Exposition in Montreal in 67. And then he helped the Japanese in 1970. And I I went and was working in Japan for a little bit. And then after that, I ended up meeting my wife who's Swedish and moved to Stockholm and started my career working, um, working there. My first client was Bjorn Borg, uh, the tennis player. We did the launch of his fashion line
0: That's cool. back
1: in, uh, in, the, in the heyday. Um, and then I worked with Ericsson, who at the time was 60% of the world's mobile phones, and that was my main client, and had the fortune of working with some wonderful people, traveling the world, launching cell phones in basically every country on the planet. And, uh, and then from there, worked with other Swedish companies, ended up owning an agency in Stockholm, Uh, co-owning an agency in Stockholm which was sold to Publicis and then uh, I started Strawberry Frog back in 99 um, in Amsterdam with my wife Uh, she runs the operations and I run the product of this business we have a management team and some partners now and um, we uh, moved to New York back in uh, the early 2000s and our offices are in the Empire State Building in New York City that's cool. um, which we haven't been in, unfortunately.
0: Sorry, missing <laughs> wow. nice, nice the view, I bet.
1: Beautiful view. Um, they're actually a wonderful organization. Having had other offices in Manhattan, um, I can tell you that landlords are really tricky uh, lot, and the Empire State Building, our class act, really oh, wonderful group. That's great. Um, yeah. Scott, great. why
0: the name? Where, do, where does the name come from?
1: So when we started Strawberry Frog, we wanted to be, uh, we had a couple of innovative ideas. First, we wanted to create movements for brands, not just advertising. Uh, That was, we felt it was a big new fresh idea to bring to the world. The second thing was we wanted to be a small group that worked with, um, we didn't want to have a studio inside Strawberry Frog or a media company. We wanted to work with uh, studios across the world. So we had a studio in Sydney, Australia, New Zealand, we had one in San Francisco, we had one in Amsterdam, we had one in Paris, and we basically outsourced all non-core strategic and creative uh, parts of the traditional uh, marketing, communications, advertising business. So we built up uh, probably about a thousand freelancers around the world, as well as small companies. Um, And we worked with that to build large global campaigns. And uh, we were able to control the quality strategy creative out of our offices in Amsterdam. And as a result of that, we wanted a name that represented sort of the opposite of the dinosaur. And at the time there was an article in ad age that called the big corporate global agencies dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And we thought the opposite of that would be the frog. So we started looking up and we saw that the rarest frog in the world is a Red frog with blue legs, it's a tiny little frog in the Amazon, it's actually poisonous, it's called Dandovates Demdobate. This is the Latin name, which uh, is the strawberry frog, and it's the rarest frog. It's lethal, so highly effective. It's red, so it's a rebel with blue legs, so it looks like it's got genes. So it had all the hallmarks <laughs> Symbol for us as a, as a company.
0: That's pretty funny. The, the jeans are a nice touch. It, it, you have a dress yeah. code on for, on day one. You had the dress code figured out.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a dress code, and and we wanted to go challenge the big corporate um, agencies for huge global clients. So right from the beginning, we said we can do everything huge clients need and want. We just do it differently in the big corporate agencies, and that was really coming from the culture of Sweden where I'd grown up and worked with these huge Swedish multinationals. Who, by the way hated working with big corporate agencies because they're super bureaucratic and expensive, and they preferred small teams that were highly flexible, creative, innovative, and could travel and and implement strategies across the globe. So that was basically what Strawberry Frog became.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage if you're in a large enterprise. You want an agency that can do the opposite of what you can do. If you have to have 20 meetings to get the Brief to the agency, and then they need to have twenty meetings to review the brief and come back to you with questions. They're, you're two years out from creating a print app. You, yeah. When you're in a big matrixed organization, you need someone fast and and quick to take the input and process it and turn it into something meaningful fast. Otherwise, you're just it's you're creating a really complex set of problems.
1: I mean the the issue that we tried to solve or let's say the unmet need we were trying to solve when we started strawberry frog was the same issue that's been around ten thousand years since you know business businesses started in the fertile crescent which is if you can do it smarter better and faster and cheaper people will want to you know work with you and if you can as you said work faster you know in the days when we started strawberry frog 20 years ago it took these big corporate agencies 18 months to get a campaign to market. <laughs> exactly. I mean, can you imagine that today? Waiting 18 months to get a campaign to market—it would be insane. No, the but that's what it set
0: about. would look different. The media would look different. Everything. Yeah, be the amazing. world would
1: change. Yeah. Now in 18 months. Twice. So, you know, we said we can do it faster. We can do it better because we have all these different talents all over the world that we pull in on a project basis, much like research universities or Hollywood, you know, SKG DreamWorks or small production um, studio versus MGM, they they are able to move much faster. So because we have that type of structure framework, we can work better, we can work cheaper and we can work um,
0: and we can work faster. Scott, explain what's What makes it a movement? What separates a movement from a campaign or a movement from a, even from a purpose?
1: So movement thinking is basically starting with what is, what is it that people are passionate about, care about out there in the world that's, that you can tie back to your brand purpose? So instead of starting with traditional advertising, which is starting with positioning, you know, we're going to go out there and position the brand and then come up with a creative way and push that creative idea out there and hope people see that creativity and engage with it. Movement is absolute 100, it's 180 degree opposite direction. You first go out and understand what's going on in the world that's relevant to the brand and then figure out a way of tying it back to the brand purpose. And by doing so, you're highly relevant to a huge group of people very quickly. And you are able to talk less about product and talk more about the issues that they're concerned about in their lives. It's open-ended. So it reaches a much wider audience than traditional advertising, which tends to be highly targeted and highly reliant on paid paid media. Mm -hmm. Movements are sustainable. They, uh, they outlive media investments. Um, Advertising is tradition, typically traditional media. Uh, Movements are, um all types of platforms uh, they could be a speech it could be social media it could be pr it could be an event it's total experience um, there's a number of reasons why movements are relevant in today's world even inside companies if you're a ceo and you're trying to reinvent a company or transform an organization a movement is a much better tool for you than a mandate a mandate where you you demand compliance today just doesn't sit very well with this new age group of employees. They much prefer to have an idea given to them where they're able to participate, add their creativity to make the world a better place, than to be told jump and expect that they're going to say yes sir or yes ma'am, jump how high. So movements really do provide a lot of benefits, both from a marketing perspective and and also as a change management perspective.
0: It's more action-based. I mean, it's more about do the the organization doing things that will either generate that are true to the purpose, and that will either generate PR or attention, or at least align the company and remind the internal team that this is what we believe, and here's proof that we believe it.
1: Exactly. When we start creating a movement, the question we ask we, we want to answer is, what do we want people to do? Versus traditional advertising is, what do we want to inspire people to think? And it's a different, it's a different starting point. Mm-hmm. If you are focused on action, then the questions you ask to get there are different than the questions you ask in a traditional advertising brief.
0: Where does this... So a brand comes to you and they say, we have this purpose. We want to we work with Strawberry Frog to turn it into a movement. Where does it usually fall down if it's, where do you see or have you seen over 20 years that it, an organization is not able to build the movement or execute the movement?
1: So just so I understand your question, could you, you're asking me whether.
0: What kind of organizations can't bring that to life? You know, they, they come to the table and they say they, they want, they're buying into this idea of creating a movement. But for whatever reason, they just internally they can't get the energy around it. I'm wondering what some of those leading reasons that you've observed are, if there if there have been any kind of uh, themes or.
1: Uh, I don't I don't think of any um, examples that come to mind. I mean, the the only example I can think of is when you are developing a movement. Um, So I'll give you an example. We worked with Emirates Airlines, which is the world's leading airline. We helped them grow to become, excuse me, we helped them grow to become from a, you know, regional Arab-based, Dubai-based airline to becoming perceived as one of the best airlines on the planet, if not the world's leading airline. And the movement we launched was actually to solve an internal issue. The issue was the airline was growing incredibly rapidly. It was like Google. They had $67 billion of aviation aircraft on order. They had the world's largest order of Airbus A380s. And you know the Emirates is a very small um, country mm-hmm. with not many uh, citizens. So they had to bring people in from all four corners of the globe to work this airline. So the movement we created was to make the world smaller. And by doing so, Overcome misconceptions and misunderstandings between people. It's actually the same strategy Delta is using right now. If you see there, or not now, but up before the coronavirus, they started running ads that are very much in line with what we did when we when we launched the movement for Emirates back in 2011. But it was intended as an internal cultural movement for the organizational staff, flight attendants, pilots, and so forth, ground crews. But then we use it as an external movement to engage travelers. Um, to engage with a company whose vision was to make the world a smaller place in order to connect you with other types of other human beings. And that we felt that was a positive thing that Emirates was doing to contribute to humanity. Over time, um, and as the management changed in the organization, there was a desire to revert to more traditional, what I describe as traditional airline advertising, showcasing kind of food that served on the airline, showcasing size of of the seats that they had on the Airbus community, the entertainment system and so forth. I think in that particular example, I think it's an example when when leadership changes, the vision changes often. Uh, And it can be because there's a business challenge at hand. In the case of Emirates, they had so many uh, aircraft, they wanted to make sure they were attracting uh, the right kind of audience right kind of traveler. And I think they felt at that time they needed to shift the strategy and move to more of a traditional airline marketing campaign, which is fine. Um, and I think uh, that that's really the only one I can think of, to be honest with you, where we, there was a real change from this, let's say the movement strategy, mm-hmm. although they kept using Hello Tomorrow, the line for Emirates uh, for, even though they changed the, the marketing strategy
0: yeah I think they wanted to to hold on to the position, but they they wanted to go a little more traditional and show off some of the assets in the yeah,
1: field. yeah exactly.
0: That's interesting. yeah, I think leadership is almost always the catalyst for the movement, maybe not the genesis of it, but leadership has a big decision when, yes, we're going to let this go, we're going to support this, I'm going to put resources to it, or yeah. that's a nice idea and no resources go to it, and it's, it can't go from somebody's PowerPoint to an internal or external movement without some sort of light being shined on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, leadership is so critical. I mean, it's invisible, yet its effect on organizations uh, is so important these days. You know, many companies feel like their best years are behind them, You know, majority of the economy is still companies that were invented back in the 1950s or earlier, Um, and when culture is blowing against you, everything is more difficult. So, if you're a leader of a company, how do you how do you lead in 2020? You know, how do you lead through the coronavirus? How do you lead in even before the coronavirus? Um, And I think you know, organizations that are trying to become adaptive and innovative, leadership is so crucial. And, you know, helping to transform, take your your strategy, your business strategy, transforming that strategy demands new behaviors from leaders um, that are almost the opposite of traditional corporate culture where, you know, the focus is typically on operational excellence and efficiency. Right. In this case, it's not about that. It's about inspiration. It's about engaging people. It's about giving them steps to change. And showing them a future. Um, and that can't be done through, as I said to you, traditional leadership where you order people or demand compliance or mandates are coming from the top of the organization. It really lives in the collective hearts of, of your people. And you've gotta, you've gotta figure out a way of engaging with those those hearts and minds. And you know, you you cannot dictate um, trust in today's world. You can't dictate motivation, can't dictate uh, creativity, but you can when you uh, introduce a movement inside your company. And, and we've used that very effectively over the years uh, to help leaders change their companies. A great case study was in a recent um, Harvard Business Review. There's a business, uh, there's a, sorry, an article called Puts, Purpose at the core of your strategy, and and the case in that article is a company called Mahindra, which is one of the most powerful companies in India, and we worked with Anand Mahindra, who's the incredible chairman of that company and the whole leadership team to launch a move to launch a uh, purpose and a movement called Rise and Rise today is used by their HR department as a means of evaluating all their employees. When it comes to compensation performance, it's what they use when they recruit people. Um, it is used in their market communications and their innovation drive. Uh, it's really, that article is quite fascinating. If you look it up, it really shows you how purpose and a movement can be used to transform the organization. And the net result is the company went from a $14 billion company when we started to now $100 billion, at least they were when we, up until recently, And very recently, they launched um, a two-point, and this is really quite extraordinary. The movement was all about tackling the business challenges that Mahindra felt were ahead of them or limiting their potential, which were were, um, their ability to think outside the box, their ability to uh, use their ingenuity. So in India, they have a phrase, it's called um, uh, Jugaad, which means using a lack of resource, using your ingenuity with the lack of resources in order to create great leaps forward in innovation. Uh, it's a Hindu word for
0: that. Like it's like using um, your your limitations as a as a tool.
1: Correct, and using ingenuity in that sense. So that was part of their culture, but it, they saw it as a as a. Um, in some respects, they saw it as a strength, but in some respects, they saw it as a weakness because they weren't as resource rich as American companies or British companies. Secondly, by nature of being based in India, they felt they were not as not as great as US corporations or, or European corporations. So there was a confidence issue. And thirdly, they needed a higher purpose to drive them out in the world, to drive some form of societal change. So RISE was all about using your, ing- using your ingenuity and accepting no limitations. Um, it was that you were second-class. You were not second-class to anybody. No limitations. Using your ingenuity to drive positive change. And the positive change was in, in society. So RISE, which was the motto of the movement, was all about those three pillars. And um, and it is extraordinary how that strategy has helped leadership drive that company. And, and a great example of where that's ended up is they're now the world leader in tractors They just launched something called the Batista, which is a $2.5 million electric supercar designed by a company called Pinaferina based in Bologna, which is, as you may be familiar, the design company that designs all the Ferraris. Mm -hmm. They had acquired that company and then called the new electric car they launched, the Pinaferina Batista. That would never have happened if it wasn't for their new purpose and movement that gave them the the confidence, no limitations, the driving positive change to make that kind of an impact. So it's just a great example of how you can change the world with this type of strategic thinking that we're talking about.
0: Do you think, uh, as you just described that, I I wondered if the idea of, we we tend to celebrate visionary leadership, but, but as I'm, Processing what you're saying, I'm thinking about how pragmatic the description of RISE really is. It's, we can only do what can be done with the resources we have, so we have to be clever about how we deploy those resources. Is one of the most pragmatic and practical pieces of advice to elevate someone and give them freedom to think differently about the tools, that, the, the assets that they have that led to something so unexpected as the the electric car that they've, that they're launching. But a visionary, if, if it was a visionary CEO who in, you know, 2017 at a tractor company would have said in three years, we're going to work and figure out how to do this electric supercar. People would have said, I don't know. I don't know, Mahindra. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance the, the visionary and the, the pragmatic?
1: Well, part of the process and the products that we sell are um, coaching. So in the case of Mahindra, we actually spent two years working with their executive leadership going through coaching and role-playing where we worked with them through this movement idea and how they could use that in order to change the way they think, change the way they engage with their colleagues change the way they engage with younger people and older people. So it was really about a cultural change uh, inside the organization, which you cannot achieve unless you do those types of programs. Uh, You can't just take an idea and lob it out there. That's why you have issues like uh, a CEO of a big package goods company going out and hiring BCG to come up with purpose strategies for your products. And then handing those strategies to your marketers and saying, go and use those in ad campaigns. Because those brand marketers are being remunerated and evaluated from a performance perspective on how many cans of soda they can sell. And they're not being remunerated for how well their purpose is being implemented. And they haven't been trained to think about how their purpose should be used to drive positive change. They're just being given a document and said, take this purpose strategy and use it when you do your ad. Right. And the net result of that is you get these you get this disconnect. So purpose very rarely actually gets executed. Brand managers scratch their heads whenever they hear it, roll their eyes. And the CEO is sitting there going, Why the hell is not why are we activating this thing? So it gets hung up on a beautiful in a beautiful frame behind his desk or her desk, or in some incredibly beautifully designed PowerPoint in a shelf in someone's office, but never ever used as an action tool.
0: Right, never brought to life in the way that was intended.
1: Yeah, that's the real issue.
0: All right, one more question for you. Are you bringing back Uprising?
1: I am actually working on a new book together with Chip Walker, who's our head of strategy, um, which will be uh, the next uh, iteration of Movement Think. So Uprising, How to Build a Brand and Change the World by Sparking Cultural Movements was a bestseller when, we launched, when I launched it back in 2012. Um, this is the perfect time in this uh, uh, quarantine period to actually be writing. So I'm actually writing uh, an hour a day. Good for two you. Two-biz too. Um, and we're, we're going to be looking at some of the things we've talked about today. For example... How can CEOs use Movement Think to lead companies today? How can you use Movement Think to foster collaboration between departments? How can you use Movement Think to think even broader than that um, in terms of uh, equity, finance, and other ways of engaging with the uh, financial community and investment community? Um, We're looking at it also from more innovative tools for marketing communications, how brand managers, chief marketing officers, um, you know, chief of experience leaders can use movement as a means of, uh, of driving growth, driving positive change in the future. And I think coming out of this, this extremely trying and difficult time uh, we're going through at the moment, I think people are gonna be looking even harder at strategies that are going to drive positive change because we're going to be yearning for it i think coming out of this more than we were going into this um and uh and i think we're going to be poised to to help uh, companies out there who have that same point of view
0: yeah and the timing is is likely perfect and i guess each each person has a chance to really uh, fine tune their beliefs and their own individual purpose as we're all somewhat quieted i mean i'm distracting myself I'm guilty of distracting myself as much as possible but uh, reflection is still seeping in so i think that's probably true for for everybody when when this is over and we come out of it it will either lead to a um global interest in betterment and self-improvement and community improvement or hedonistic explosion of um you know it'll either be new year's day for six months or new year's or uh january 1st for six months
1: yeah i think i mean people have been seeing these extraordinary images over the last few days like of dolphins coming into the canals in venice and uh, animals coming back into the forest you know the night sky not being or even the day sky not having any streaks of jets uh, the this noise is gone, the pollution, CO2 emissions are down. There's a lot of things that are happening that people are noticing. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and, I, and, I, and I hope that the the biggest lesson of all is that people um, who are in positions of leading companies realize that if you uh, drive positive change for your customers and your employees, it's actually in your self-interest. If you actually, remove, if you don't, poison your your employees if you don't poison your customers they actually live longer and buy more stuff so it's actually your interest
0: it seems self-explanatory but it is clearly uh, american commerce has taught us that that is not self-explanatory
1: well hopefully that'll be a you know one of the things that we will learn through this this difficult time Um, i think we are certainly being forced to question uh, everything. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, the strongest, most powerful, richest country in the world couldn't get their act together with months of advance warning. And we're seeing right now in New York City, doctors pleading. They have no equipment. They have, people have no ventilators. It's a complete mess. And it's, it's unbelievable yeah. um, that this is happening right now. And I think at the very least, people, and and the surge has yet to start in New York City. It's going to come over the next uh, 14 to 21 days. Same is going to happen to other parts of the country. And I think that's going to force people to realize that the system that we've inherited is not working, that there needs to be a better way. And I think that's going to, and and that includes people who are responsible for strategic thinking in companies. And, and, and I think there are lessons to be learned in movements out there, popular movements, to be used to understand the needs of people um, that can be used to drive innovation that can be used to help prove collaboration, um, new ideas, and better ideas. And uh, I certainly hope so.
0: Uh, as do I. Um, Scott, I want to thank you very much for, for carving out some time for this conversation. I know we scheduled it way before all this got uh, crazy out there in the world, so I appreciate you uh, joining me, even despite that. I know what you're, what you're working on right now, and I um, appreciate you making time for this.
1: Well, it's a pleasure uh, to be on your show, and, and despite what's going on, it's, uh, we need to keep going, keep doing what we're doing, keep our minds busy. Anyone is listening to this, if you, if you are um, able, please go to HCW shout out, uh, sorry, uh, hashtag HCW shout out, which is a shout out to healthcare workers. And just give your love and appreciation for them because these guys are working 24-7. It's absolutely insane. They need all our love and support right now. Um, and uh, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks, Scott. It's been great talking to you.
1: All right. Take care. Thanks.
0: Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard or you've liked any of the episodes of The Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. Please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, That helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us, at APIRNO, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon, it's Patreon, uh, Adam Pierno there and you can help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It in specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampirno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.